Welcome to the Illuminate Recovery Podcast. We shed light on mental health issues, mental illness, and addiction recovery. Ways to cope, manage, and inspire. Beyond the self-care we will discuss, you may need the help of a licensed professional. My name is Kurt Neider. I'm a husband, a father, entrepreneur, a handyman, and a student of life. I avoid conflict, I deflect with humor, and I'm fascinated by the human experience. And I'm Shelly Mangum. I am a clinical mental health counselor, and my favorite role of all times is grandma. I am a seeker of truth, and I feel like life should be approached with tremendous curiosity. I ask the dumb questions. I fill in the gaps. The Illuminate Recovery Podcast is brought to you by Illuminate Billing Advocates. Make billing and collection simple with leader in substance abuse and mental health billing services. Verification and analysis of benefits, pre-authorizations, utilization management, accurate claim submission and management, denial and appeal management, and industry-leading reporting. Improve your practice's cash flow and your ability to help your clients with Illuminate Billing Advocates. Today, we have Parker Smith with us. Parker is the CEO of PJS Connection Consulting. He's in Phoenix, Arizona. And here, I'm just going to quote Parker to introduce him. My life's purpose is to help increase the impact others have on their community and our population as a whole. I am deeply passionate about leadership, mentorship, public speaking, relationship building, as well as health and wellness. I am committed to living a life in service of others. Parker, thanks for being with Kurt and I today. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, That's a pretty, uh, pretty passionate, pretty um, powerful statement that, that uh, you, you know, that you've shared. I, um, I'm curious and, and I love some of the things you've said in there, like, like you're, you're committed to living a life in service of others. So I'll probably ask you about that in a little bit. But before that, it might be a good idea to just maybe introduce yourself a little bit, talk about some of your history and how you ended up um, with PJS. Certainly. So I'm Parker Smith, grew up in Phoenix, Arizona, and spent the first 18 years of my life there. And my path took me to Denver, Colorado for undergraduate university studies um, to a small school called Regis University. Um, Loved the education that I received there, loved the state of Colorado, ended up sticking around there for 10 years before moving back to Phoenix a couple years ago. And what really brought me towards this line of work was the experience I had in undergraduate school with a handful of my best friends who Uh, quickly fell through into the throes of heroin addiction. So um, a handful of them started using every day in the house that we lived in. I had no idea how to help them. I had no idea what to do. I felt quite powerless to the situation. And unfortunately, you know, it continued to escalate. One of those individuals um, went on to overdose and, and pass away. And I always wanted to help others. Um, I always felt like I was good with connecting with other people. And that that people gave me energy and helping people gave me energy. And so I decided to pursue um, a credential following graduation called the Certified Addiction Counselor um, Certification. So 
there's different levels of that in the state of Colorado. They just um, updated it. it. Used to be the CAC one, CAC two, CAC three. Um, I earned the CAC two, kind of qualifies me as a clinician. Um, now the credential is titled the Certified Addiction Specialist. Um, so I come from the counseling side initially. <clears throat> after uh, college, shortly after college, I got in with a organization in Boulder, Colorado called North Star Transitions. I was the third third full-time employee there. And initially we were a recovery coaching, life skills counseling program, working with young adults who suffered with addiction and mental health issues. Um, and we really helped them to engage with the community, do some care coordination with providers, um, but also just help them with life stuff, getting back in school, you know, filling out uh, application, building a resume. So I really enjoyed um, getting to work directly with the individuals but I also realized fairly quickly that I enjoyed the operational and administrative side as well. And so that organization grew rapidly. Um, we added an IOP, PHP, and then we were actually the first state licensed residential treatment study center in the city of Boulder. Um, and that organization still stands tall today with uh, multiple residential facilities, uh, multiple sober living homes, and a, and a consolidated 10,000 square foot office where uh, the PHP IOP services are delivered. So um, that organization grew from three employees to 75 within five years. And um, like I said, is, is doing super well. So I'm very blessed um, with that experience. I was recovery coach and then I was the program coordinator and then I was the director of operations. So in that role, um, I managed all of our regulatory compliance. Um, our state licensure went on to earn the joint commission accreditation and for whatever reason, that seemed to be an area that I was highly skilled. We, you know, performed extremely well in Joint Commission. You know, we're told it was kind of one of the better surveys that they had ever seen. And the state of Colorado um, requested some of the policies and procedures that I wrote um, to, to duplicate and use in some of their state-funded programs. So a couple sources of validation there for me. And um, a few years back, I recognized, you know, regulation was increasing uh, different stakeholders in the industry, you know, the government, consumers, the insurance payers were looking to, um, you know, better, better, better regulate the industry and, and understand, you know, what is quality care. And one of the ways that they have attempted to do so is by, you know, demanding accreditation um, in order to be reimbursed for services. So I saw that opportunity. I recognized um, that I had the ability um, you know, entrepreneurship runs in, in my blood, my lineage. Um, I just love being a business owner. I love, um, you know, the freedom, um, with decision-making with, with time management. And so I've been abundantly blessed, um, after taking that leap of faith, many thought that that was not the best decision for me to, to leave a, a COO job and, and, uh, give it a run. But, you know, it's one of the better decisions that I've made in my life. And, uh, like I said, you know, been been really blessed to get where I'm at. So my organization um, mainly works with behavioral health care providers, mental health, substance abuse treatment, uh, individuals with um, intellectual disabilities. And we help these organizations to earn their licenses uh, with their respective state, but also accreditations such as Joint Commission and CARF. And we really, you know, seek to inspire these organizations um, rather than seeing 
regulation and you know accreditation as a necessary evil, which I think is is oftentimes the the view. Trying to inspire the why behind it, you know, it wasn't just uh, random folks that wrote these laws and rules and regulations. It's doctors, it's clinicians, you know, physicians, and so um, there's intentions behind these rules and regulations. And so, what I try to, you know, really educate people on is that if you implement and embody and embrace these standards, you know, the return on investment is uh, impossible to calculate and because it's so great, you know, the quality of the services will increase, um, you know, the, the standing with payers will remain, um, you'll have opportunities, you know, to go and network or, um, you know, there's, it just opens a lot of different doors for an organization and rather than see it as something that they have to do, we try to help them understand that it's something that they get to do to become better. And yeah, it involves a little bit more work for everybody. Um, but what we see is the employees of the organizations, you know, really appreciate adding some of these measures. And a lot of this, you know, content in the standards is maybe stuff you never would have thought about. And you implement it and you're like, well, we're glad that we do that now. We never would have thought about that. And let's help prevent some, some, maybe some bad things from happening down the line. So well, Parker, oh. you, you talk about it. Like, this is just like, this is just what you have to do. And everybody's going to understand that this is what you have to do, right? Like if a facility wants to be successful, they, they've got to get accredited and they need to do all these things, but that's not, that's not my experience. <laughs> Sometimes it's like pulling teeth and you've got to go, you've got to go, look, this is why you want this, right? This is why we're going to do all of this stuff. And it's going to, it might not generate you. Well, it will generate you more revenue because you'll be able to accept more policies, but it's going to keep you from losing an awful lot of revenue because those insurance companies are very good at taking money back or going and finding money that they think they can take back from you. And if you don't put these things in, in place, the, those, that's where those insurance take backs come in. Absolutely. You know, those are kind of the, the more commonly recognized reasons for accreditation. I think some of the, you know, foundational elements of accreditation that I appreciate is really, you know, there's these 15 chapters covers every area of the business um, performance improvement and leadership chapters really address, you know, the responsibility of leadership to be able to, you know, foster this culture of safety, support all the individuals in the organization. And, you know, as a service-based business, your people are your greatest asset. And so being able to support them, you know, with at the leadership level is really going to blossom out in, you know, through every branch. Um, and then performance improvement, you know, we were talking before the show, um, you know, I don't believe anything really stays the same. I think that, you know, either it's it's improving or, or it's going in the wrong direction. And so when you put a quality improvement plan together um, where you're collecting data, you're reporting it, um, you know, aggregating it, looking at it objectively to make, you know, informed decisions about changes, then you're really committing to becoming a, you know, world-class program. And um, I think most aspire to be that and, and you know very few are really able to pull it off so well and i think it's interesting too parker is that <clears throat> as a as a facility let's say you're doing substance abuse i don't think it's really possible for you to see what the insurance companies are saying about your organization 
But those insurance companies are certainly keeping a scorecard on the facilities that they're working with. And they're saying, yeah, they're, they're seeing the doctor every week or they're seeing a therapist twice a week or they're doing outcome measures or, you know, all of the different things. They're paying attention to that. And so it really does. If you if you do a better program in these back areas that you're talking about, it shows up and insurance companies are taking notes. So. I couldn't agree with you more, but if I'm tight on money, I'm going to tell you to take a walk because I don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm just trying to make, you know, get people treatment. So it's an interesting uh, conflict there. It is. And, you know, there's a lot of different return on investment for, you know, investing in services like mine or investing in accreditation and, you know, joint commission and, and CARF and, you know, a lot of the other different players in the game have, you know, they're pushing for this outcomes-based care, right? We're trying to understand what a successful treatment episode looks like. And the way I would define that is a, you know, a treatment plan that was collaboratively developed with the individual in their own words that has been, you know, successfully completed in terms of, you know, their active goals and what they wanted to work on. Um, but you can't, everyone is just so different in their unique experience. You know, we're all a calculation of our, of these many experiences that make us up over time. Um, but when you put in some of these standardized assessment tools, whether it's the PHQ nine or the brief addiction monitor, and you're utilizing the results from these assessments to continue to update and drive treatment with an individual, you know, now we're really talking about being more objective uh, in a way that we treat people in a way that uh, really addresses the symptoms that they're exhibiting and, and either reduces those or, you know, puts a plan in place to, to try to mitigate over time. So, yeah. uh, I, I know I get asked this question quite frequently, and, and I don't know if I know the right answer, and maybe you can shed some light, but I often hear facilities ask, should I get JCO accredited or should I get CARF accredited? And this is fairly specific to substance abuse facilities. Do you have a preference? I do. I think the Joint Commission is, is superior. Um, and my reasoning is such. There is an element of customer service um, and consulting that you get from a Joint Commission surveyor that feels a little bit less like an audit and I think adds an additional um, layer of value in the process um, where they're helping to teach and educate and provide even resources in the form of documents and, you know, templates. Whereas CARF, I think, is really addressed more in the form of an audit. Um, another reason is that Joint Commission, you know, as you prepare and submit a ready date, they're going to come survey you within 30 to 60 days of that ready date. You can even do an early survey option where they come, you know, and give you seven days notice. They might come, you know, a couple weeks after your ready date. And you don't have to show them this historical data. You just represent to them, um, you know, these are the plans and systems that we put in place to be able to meet the standards. And then when they come back in three years, obviously they're going to want to see that stuff. CARF demands that you submit a ready date and then they come six months following to be able to analyze what you've done since you've claimed to be ready for them. I think that there's also a misconception about cost. You know, a lot of people from what I've heard say, oh, we don't do, we're not going to do joint commission because it's more expensive. I don't believe that that's true um, because it's a flat fee for the survey joint commission. It's about 3,300 bucks now. Whereas CARF is a 
cost per surveyor per day. And they get to choose how many surveyors they send out. And so if you think about $1,500 per surveyor per day, two surveyors, four days, you know, that's added up to a, a multiple of what the Joint Commission's survey cost was. So for the above reasons, you know, Joint Commission is, is preferable. Um, but for some organizations, maybe CARF does make more sense. Um, and we can certainly help, help those folks as well. Nice. Good information. <clears throat> I, um, one of the things that I heard you say as you were sharing your story is that when you were going to the university, you were, you know, in a, in a, a room or in a, an apartment with all of these guys that are your friends and they're using heroin. So it, it really pricked my attention is, is how does somebody associate with all of these people that they love and care about and spend time with and not end up using with them? Um, I think, yeah, it's a good question. You know, super, super blessed. I think that there's, you know, at least a handful of angels that have been looking after me my whole life and, and, you know, being able to, to keep me from going down certain paths, um, that were, you know, easily available for me to take. It escalated quickly with these folks. I think, um, you know, they, most of them, if not all of them had not really experienced, um, use in the past before college. And so when they started using marijuana and you know, drinking, it just escalated really quickly as we know it can. Um, one of the uh, aspects that I think probably supported me was I was a student athlete in college. And so, you know, I'm in school during the day, I'm at practice in the evenings, seven days a week, you know, traveling uh, to tournaments and you know waking up the next morning and finishing the homework that i couldn't get done the night before and so you know time management as a student athlete is 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 very challenging and to be able to be successful in school and your sport you really need to be dedicated to um you know a, a routine that uh, can't really include drugs and alcohol <laughs> so. i mean yeah but that i mean that's true that's absolutely true but you have to be pretty disciplined to say i'm going to i'm going to stay the course i'm going to do this because this is more important to me because there's plenty of people that have been athletes that right. have taken the other option right and and there's other dynamics behind it would you you know can you maybe identify some of those other strengths that you may have that that might be lacking somewhere else Sure. Yeah, I, I've I've always been a, a resilient person. Um, I've always been a determined person, and uh, you know I think those are some qualities that have have taken me through life and helped me be successful in a number of ways. I'm certainly not um, afraid of of hard work. You know, putting in that work is such a to me important component of of living a happy and successful life. And it's the way that we look at our work and our work takes a lot of different forms. It's just not, it's not just our job. Um, it's the way that we take care of our body. It's the way that we take care of our relationships. It's the way that we take care of our home. It's uh, multifaceted, you know, work to me. Um, I think it's a loaded word and I take a lot of pride in my work and what I do. Um, and I think that that's certainly a source of motivation and drive for me. I think um, an additional contributing factor is that, you know, my family had some very humble beginnings. Um, you know, there was a period of time where we didn't have a house. We lived with, you know, different 
families in our church. And so, you know, my parents have worked and sacrificed a lot to provide for us and give us the opportunity to be successful. And I would be, you know, remiss if I didn't, uh, you know, put forth 110% in everything I do um, to be able to live out the dream that they wanted to provide for me and my brothers. So that's incredible. And you talked about coming from a, you know, a, a long line of entrepreneurs. Talk about a little bit what that looked like in your own home and then, you know, what that looked like, you know, from your, from your ancestors. For sure. You know, the being in service of others definitely is, I think, part of my family leg legacy. You know, my great grandmother, my grandmother, you know, my mother, um, you know, my, my grandfather, my, my father, you know, all the way down to me is just really, um, they, we just believe in, uh, caring for others and, you know, being a, a good steward and helping others when they need it and, and, and making those sacrifices for other people. Um, and then, yeah, business entrepreneurship. Uh, so my father was, uh, you know, an aspiring golf professional played at university of Colorado, you know, won the Colorado state amateur pursued the professional circuit with golf, which is very difficult to be successful in. And as a young family, you know, he had to make a decision where um, he decided to leave pursuing playing professional and became a teaching professional. So becoming a teaching professional, uh, unless you work for some sort of organization, is very much entrepreneurship. You need to find, you know, opportunities to run camps. And so he would work five days a week at ASU Karsten and then drive up Saturday, Sunday and run camps, you know, in Prescott every weekend. And I watched that, I participated in that. Um, and, you know, eventually that gave my mom the opportunity to go back to school. Uh, she got her degree in counseling. My mother is actually a marriage family addictions therapist in private practice here in Phoenix, Living Hope Counseling. And, um, you know, her business now thrives. She's got about six clinicians that work under her with a variable set of skills and, and experience. And so, you know, both my parents are business owners, um, you know, aunts, uncles, you know, business owners. And I think that my family recognizes and appreciates, um, business ownership as the opportunity to live life in the way that you want, um, not on a set schedule, um, you know, where you're asking for time off and where you're, you know, having to, kind of navigate this bureaucratic process, um, in a way that serves you. Uh, we believe in being able to capitalize on the, you know, effort that we put in and, you know, you work harder, you, you do better. And I like that reward system. And so, uh, hopefully that helps kind of color in the lines a little bit. Well, it does. And it, it's, um, it's an interesting, it, it's interesting to hear what your family like is life is like. And I imagine people who have, um, you know, who are in recovery or who, you know, struggle with severe mental illness and things like that, you know, they might, maybe they feel a little bit of resentment if they haven't done enough of their work that, well, look, Parker had this great life. Of course he didn't choose drugs because, you know, he had this great family life and he learned how to work hard and he learned how to sacrifice. But it sounds like there's an awful lot of elements there that supported you and kept you focused on the things that were important to you. 
Absolutely. And, you know, my life has certainly not gone without mistakes. Um, you know, I think that my challenges like with, um, you know, bad behaviors and, and drugs and alcohol, um, kind of came through in high school and I was in an environment that was able to support me through that. Um, and I'm actually really grateful for having those challenges more early on in my life and learning from them and getting, you know, feedback from, the world about, you know, what the consequences of that can be. And so as I moved into my own, you know, independent state outside of where I grew up, I felt more capable of making better decisions. Whereas I think some folks we see come to college, haven't been exposed to a whole lot or made a whole lot of poor judgment calls that, you know, have been introduced to a new set of freedom that gives them that ability where uh, the con the unseen consequences start to, to pop up and it can snowball quickly. Uh, that's for sure, doesn't it? Well, and you know, and maybe, you know, you've, you've dabbled and done some drinking and things like that, but certainly those who have that addictive gene or, or, you know, addictive disease inside of them. It, it has a very different way of responding in the body and they don't always get that choice. So I do want to say, You're right. I agree completely. Yeah. I think, you know, some people really, um, kind of get the short end of the stick and, you know, in the, in the assessment stage of treatment, you know, biopsychosocial, um, comprehensive diagnostic, you know, diagnostic assessment or multidimensional assessment. It's called a lot of different things, but it really addresses, these important factors that help shape us as human beings, right? Um, our biological makeup, our psychological makeup, and our socialization. And for some of those folks, like you had described, you know, the biology and the genetics um, within them really just predisposes them to this condition. Um, and then also, you know, there's, there's these other factors too, right? Our, our psychology, and, you know, the way that we're socialized, where we grew up, uh, traumatic experiences certainly can exacerbate use and, um, you know, be a springboard for addiction. So I agree with you completely that, uh, you know, although for me personally, um, it didn't, it didn't catch fire. It, it certainly can be a, a, something that people with all the best intentions and, you know, all the best, uh, support just, uh, are going to struggle with unfortunately. Parker, you seem to me like, and, and I couldn't agree more. I appreciate that validation is that, you know, we all come a little bit different and we've got to, <clears throat> we've got to own who we are and be proud of who we are. And even those weaknesses and challenges that we have as I'm, as I'm listening to you kind of share your story and talk about, you know, the details, right? You're into the details of Jayco and Carf and all of these, like you're the guy that reads all of the small print, I, I'm pretty sure you're the guy that reads all of that. <clears throat> and so I'm wondering um, how you keep balance in your life. Because I imagine you could sit there and read for 12 hours a day and never get enough of it. How do you maintain balance in your life? I think it's just a, a consistent, um, you know, taking inventory, right? I think as a as a business owner, one of the bigger challenges is, you know, do I get help and pay for it or do I learn this myself and do it? And I think over time, you really have to learn, you know, which 
you know, bucket it, it, you know, the, the, the work should go into, right. And early on, it really has to fall on you and you got to find those answers. And as you continue to experience success, you have more resources to be able to pull people in. I wouldn't be where I'm at. I wouldn't have the balance that I do, uh, without some, some really wonderful people in my life to help, you know, check up on that inventory and, you know, advise me, I think, you know, there's a lot of greatness and in, in wise counsel. And so I keep a lot of that around me, um, to help keep balanced and understand where I should be putting my priorities. I think also, you know, having a routine is just really important. Um, you know, I have a yoga practice. I love cycling. I love playing golf and, um, you know, having those, uh, recreational and, and physical exercise, you know, hobbies and, and routines, I think really supports balance and structure, um, and kind of helps to manage some of the challenges, but also bring clarity, um, and how one organizes their life. And so, um, I wish I had a, you know, crystal ball to, to, to guide the path for how I can stay balanced. But the, the best uh, answer that I could give is just to continue to revisit check in with myself, um, be honest with myself, um, about, you know, where, where, where I'm balanced and where I'm not. And, you know, where are some of the things that I can do to, to get back to it? And I don't think any of us ever stay balanced all the time. It's just a matter of when we can recognize having that self-awareness to say, Ooh, you know, I'm falling this way or I'm falling that way. How can I kind of get back to that? Um, you know, that balance. Your life's kind of a funny analogy for, for what you do though, right? That, that entrepreneurial aspect, right? You mentioned the idea of leaving a job, right? And leaving bureaucracy and leaving structure or whatever for, for flexibility, you know, and other opportunities when, um, as a person who's owned a few different businesses, right? I always like to laugh, right? If you don't, if you don't like your boss, quit your job as fast as you can and start your own business, because then everyone is your boss, right? Like that's not, that's not something that goes away ever, uh, answering to people. You, you change your intention, right? And now everybody else in the world is your boss, clients and employees, but you want to serve them, right? As opposed to, you know, this boss who you've decided to not like or whatever. Um, so it's an interesting analogy, right? Cause you go out on your own, you start this business now you have a different motivation, but you still end up creating structure. You still end up creating rules, right, that help you to be successful. And, and the accreditation process and all of those things really are the exact same, right? For some groups, this, you know, accreditation or, or some of those different processes for kind of meeting standards sound hard. They sound like a hassle. They sound like, you know, a challenge or whatever. An, an, an audit would be a nightmare type thing. But if the approach is that we're going to run our business and meet or exceed all of these standards, their life isn't harder. Life gets easier, right? With, with the system. And it's the other analogy you brought up is your health, right? It, it's, much more fulfilling to just be active and feel good than to not be active and hate yourself for not feeling good all the time. Right. So, um, 
that's kind of a that's kind of an interesting analogy that you bring up, and that there's not really a question there, but kind of a curiosity to to yeah. notice what you're saying. Totally, and I'll kind of piggyback on some that you're saying there, um, in terms of like you know, kind of wanting to step away from the structure that others have created and create my own that I feel like can work well for me and set others up for success. And so either, you know, we are falling within a structure or we're creating it. And the latter is more attractive to me. I'm laughing. <clears throat> I, um, it made me think back, Kurt, when you gave that analogy of one of my, one of my, my oldest, actually, my oldest son came one day and he's a teenager, right? And he's like, mom, he says, I want to be just like you and dad. And I'm like, what, what does that mean, honey? He says, I didn't want to be accountable to anybody just like you and you and dad are not accountable to anybody. You know, I want my own business and I don't want to have to answer to anybody. And I'm like, oh, honey, I have so many bosses. You have no idea. You have no idea all of that accountability, just like you talked about. But it's easy to misconceive that if, if you have this little bit more flexible schedule or, you know, maybe you're not working nine to five, maybe you're, you know, working in the morning or, you know, take a break in the afternoon or you work longer hours, but they don't really account for all of that or the idea that, that if you don't work and make money, that when you go on vacation, there's no money, right? That money doesn't keep coming in if you're the one making the money. So it was just interesting when you're young, what you perceive and what you think is happening. <laughs> yeah. And I would, you know, maybe push back on the multiple bosses thing. I think, you know, in some ways you can make that analogy, but there's more security in having 10 bosses than one. Because if one of them, you know, decides to change course, the other nine are still there. Um, so I think sometimes it can be a bit of a misconception, you know, that employment has more security than business ownership. But uh, it takes a lot of effort, energy, and time to be able to get to the place where you have all those bosses and none of them can really tell you what to do <laughs> <laughs> and they all pay you which is really nice right because yeah. the boss doesn't pay you you fire them <laughs> that is correct <laughs> um P parker this has been kind of a fun conversation i'm wondering you talked about you know keeping people around you that that help um you know share their information and direct you who how do you think about mentorship and and are you really deliberate about that kind of a relationship I am. Um, I think that, you know, part of the way that our life is meant to be lived, this is just my personal perspective, is to be mentored and to mentor. Um, you know, that there's an abundant amount of knowledge and wisdom to be shared between people, right? And the mentor learns from the mentee and the mentee learns from the mentor. And there's so many folks out there in the world who have not had someone to look up to, someone to help guide them, someone to help teach them. Um, and I believe that we all, um, as a basic human right, deserve to have mentorship and guidance from someone um, and to have the opportunity to pass that along at some phase or stage of our life. And so... The people that really, you know, I think surround me and add a lot of value and benefit are some of the people that have been 
uh, my clients even that have been, you know, obviously I'm a younger guy. I've been, you know, only, only doing this for, you know, close to a decade now, whereas some have been doing it for 30, 40 years. And so it's important for me to ask those questions, you know, those, those challenges that I have and to have those conversations and then also be able to, to give back, you know, I'm participate in the, the big brothers, big sisters program. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of young boys and young girls that don't have a, a mentor, um, that exists in their life. And so hopefully that addresses the question, but that's more or less kind of my approach to it. No, I like that. And to be intentional about it, I think it's really important. What's, um, uh, what's in the future for Parker? <laughs> Oh boy. That's a loaded question. Um, I live in Phoenix. However, I still love Colorado. I am, I'm hoping to add a second location to be able to really kind of split my time between both. Um, I'm also working on an expansion with my business, um, to develop a tool that's going to help organizations, you know, simplify and organize uh, maintaining their compliance and following the standards. And so without disclosing a whole lot about that, I've got some pretty exciting stuff coming down the pipe this year that I think will solve a lot of problems around compliance. It'll make it easier to remain in compliance. And a byproduct of that is that, you know, thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of patients will be treated with, you know, that much more of a level of respect and safety and, and quality. So, you know, I, I, I'm sure you probably saw on my website, you know, my the mission of my organization is to, you know, support the growth development and refinement of healthcare organizations seeking to make a positive impact in the lives of others. My vision is, um, you know, a, a higher standard of safety and quality in healthcare. So everything that I'm doing with my company is centered around improving outcomes, improving safety, improving quality. And that really makes it easy for me to know what to do next. Cause it's just all about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very organized, right? It's very clear and it's very, it's, there's a path to follow. And I love that you do that stuff because I don't really like to do that much detail, right? I don't like, there's, I have to get away from the computer every now and then. So I appreciate what you do. And, and I know how hard it is because I've worked with a lot of different consultants that do kind of the things that you do and the detail and the organization that's required is intense. So I appreciate um, knowing that about you, because just, just what you're telling me, I know that about you <laughs> and yeah, what you do. So I imagine that there's going to be, you know, facilities and organizations that are going to recognize your, your gifts and abilities as well and your hard work, and they're going to want to get a hold of you. What's the best way for them to do that? They can email me directly, parker at pjsconnection.com. They can visit my website. There's a contact form, www.pjsconnectionconsulting.com. I'm also easily discoverable on LinkedIn, has some of my testimonials, more about me, like you had read from my bio and, and my work history in the industry. And so um, I'm, a, I'm a very accessible guy. And, you know, any of those three avenues are ones that you can take to, to get in touch with me. 
That's uh, thank you. Thank for sharing that. And, um, and thanks for being on our show today, Parker. It's been, um, it's been fun. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you having me. Thanks, Parker.